I changed my original plan, and instead of reading the, the passages from Exodus that are listed as the main scripture, I decided to give you a sample of the Old Testament laws. And that's our topic today. But I actually want to start with, I guess you could call it a magic trick, something I've been working on. And so I need a volunteer. Anyone? Anyone? Joe? And so it's a, it's, it's a real simple thing. So I, I have them here, and we're going to see what happens with this. And so I'm going to cover it with a towel. And there we go. Joe is an expert. He's a trained uh, maintenance guy, and I guess he, he handles mirrors all the time. Yep, so there you go. Let's see what happens. Excellent. So, thank you. Thank you. That's all we need. That's all we need. So, this is our, our mirror now. It, it's not much of a trick. Is this fixable? It's hard to imagine how. The point we're making is that when sin came into this world, it was a hammer blow. It did exactly this. You see, we were made to be in God's image, to be a reflection of God's heart and character, to be his representatives on the, on the earth. But when we chose to listen to God's enemy and decide that we, we will do what we want to do, whatever, whatever God says, that did this to our human nature. And so, what was God to do? Could he fix this? And God could have just given up and said, well, let's throw this away and we'll, we'll create some other thing. Do, you know, go, go his own way and throw the mirror away. But instead, God chose to begin a long-term project in which he would restore the image of God within humanity. The last few weeks, we, we talked about how God chose, as the beginning of that project, he chose Abraham and his descendants to be the ones through whom he would work this project. And so he, he called them out of slavery in Egypt, called them to be his own people, and brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with the people of Israel. And, and here's what it says in Exodus 19. It says, You shall say this to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, here's a key verse, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, God did that for a purpose, his purposes. And what was his purpose that he declares? You shall be a kingdom of priests. Now think about what that means. There'll be lots of kingdoms on the earth, but this particular one, the whole 
nation of Israel would itself be a kingdom that would enable other nations, other peoples throughout the world to ultimately know God. They would serve the function of like a priest does. A priest, you go to the priest, they help you connect to God. That would be what they do. They would be a kingdom of priests and they would be a holy nation, meaning they would bear God's image faithfully. Leviticus 11 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. They were meant to bear God's image, to be holy like he was, but they didn't know what holiness was. They didn't know what God was like. In fact, until God told Moses, you know, my name is such and such. So he gave the divine name and says, my name is I am that I am. Um, so they're only beginning to learn what God's name is even, let alone his nature, his character, his holiness. And so God, in order to begin this work of fixing the image, would have to teach them what he was like, what holiness even was. And so he would do that by giving them what we call the law. The Torah is the Hebrew name for the first five books of the Bible. Um, and we translate it as the law. It's not just the law. It's not just laws, but it includes the narratives that go with it. And it's not just a rule book. The, the first five books are, are meant to be, it's, it's a teaching instrument. God is going to start to shape not just what his people do, but how they think how they perceive things. He's going to teach them about himself through this law. And so what my goal is today is to break down the laws within the Torah and then talk about the big question is how do these laws given 3,000 years ago, how do they apply to us as followers of Christ today? So the first thing to understand is how, how was the law given? Continuing in Exodus 19. So God had brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and he then, his presence comes there. It says, on the, the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. At the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So God appears in complete glory and power. They, they, they had seen that power as it had led them out of Israel, or I'm sorry, led them out of Egypt. God led them, it said, by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They also saw that power directed against the Egyptians. When, when God's presence stood between them and the Egyptian army and protected them. But now, Israel stands before God. They are the ones standing right before the presence of the Lord. In Exodus 20, we see how they react. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. That would be me. I'd be like, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step back here. I, I don't know if I'm gonna walk in to to that situation. And then they, 
they come up with an idea and they say, uh, hey, hey, Moses, you know, we were, we were talking. Why don't you go talk to God? We'll, just st- we'll stay back here, right? There's no sense all of us going up there. Why don't you go talk to God and you just tell us what he says? And that's what happens. It says, and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So the law would be given through Moses. Its source would be God, and it would be by God's direction, through God's spirit. And and so the first five books would be called the Law of Moses. You'll see that reference. And it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In Hebrew, it's the Torah. In Greek, it's the Pentateuch, the five books. It was imparted by Moses. I don't necessarily know if he was the one who wrote it out onto papyrus. More likely, because it always speaks of Moses in third person, that someone was writing it out on his behalf. But it was him giving the instructions and laws. Um, we know the last book of or uh, chapter Deuteronomy includes the death of Moses. So someone at least would have had to written that part on his behalf. A good chunk of it is narrative events that took place during Moses' leadership, but the majority of it are the laws passed to the people through Moses. So what I want to do right now is break down the laws and commands into four categories, and there's and then there's sort of a fifth, but four categories, and we'll talk through each, each one of them a little bit. The first category is the ones we started our worship service with, the Big Ten. And so it says that, that God actually wrote these on stone tablets that, that Moses brought down the mountain with them. The Big Ten would be the official covenant documents. That would be the, the basis of the relationship they would have with God. The first five commandments talk about how, you're, how you interact with God. So God, they would... God made a covenant with them that they would be his people. So what is required of them? That they would just worship one God. They wouldn't worship false images. Don't misuse God's name. Keep the Sabbath day holy for rest and worship. And these are all, in essence, what it means to be loyal to the covenant. The first five. Including that fifth, the fifth one, interestingly, is honor your father and your mother. Because it would be through the passing down from parents to their children, that they would receive that covenant. So that's, that's inherently a part of the first five. The second five are foundational moral laws. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not murder, and do not covet. So the, these are laws that are not situationally or, or culturally based, right? They're true throughout the, the time, all time. Um, interesting, the first four are very clearly like actions. The fifth one, do not covet, begins to, to, to show us that in order to, to fix the image, God would have to deal with stuff inside. Even it's the desire to want to get what other people have. That would have to be fixed if we are to be holy in his image. So you have the big ten. Then you have a whole host of laws that I, I call ceremonial 
you could call them worship laws. Sometimes you could also call them cleanliness laws. And they would have to do with how to build the tabernacle, which was the tent of worship. Later, that would be replaced the temple, but, but they started with just a simple tent. Um, also, how to celebrate the religious festivals throughout their year, Passover and Sukkot and other festivals that they would have. Um, included in that is the animal sacrifices that would take place in the tabernacle and the right way for the, the priests to, to, to handle those. One tribe, the tribe of Levi, was given charge of the temple and the worship items. And so one of the books is called Leviticus, and it has a lot of those tabel, tabernacle laws and worship laws. But there were other things, and it would the other kind is called cleanliness laws. Things that you would do that that would make you unclean and how to fix that. So so the idea of the cleanliness laws is this, is God was going to dwell right in their midst. And in order to be in God's presence, they could not just cavalierly, like, assume that they could be there. God, God, they had to take care of, like, certain practices to make sure that they were in right, rightness with God. And, and what you see in those is that, that it would involve every part of their life. They would have to give thought to to whether they are able to be in God's presence. And what I see God doing in those laws is teaching them that principle, that God is holy and beyond our imagination. And in order to, to know him, to walk with him, to be his, he, he has to make us holy. We have, to, we have to be set right. And so God is teaching them principles of holiness amidst these laws. The third category is moral laws. These are laws that apply to individuals. And what it comes down to is God cares how we treat people. How we treat the people around us. And so you have laws that deal with loving your neighbor. That's simply given as a command. And, and taking, you know, uh, not hating your brother from your heart, but, but that you will care for your neighbor or you will um, that you'll not hold grudges against them. So that it's talking about dealing with good relationships. There's also one that, that talks about how you treat, one of the ones they read, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. That it talks about care for the vulnerable. I find it interesting. God's word includes protections for the disabled. And and God gets very angry at those who would mistreat those who are vulnerable, like the disabled or widows or orphans. And then there are laws that regard how we do sex and marriage. And it, it outlaws incest, adultery, same-sex male sexual intercourse, and bestiality. In general, the, the laws regarding sex and marriage upholds what came in Genesis 2.24, that that marriage would be between one man and one woman, and that sex would be practiced within the security of a marriage relationship. So those are the moral laws that are taught. Mostly it comes down to this, God cares how you treat people. Then you have the societal laws. How do you function as a society? And that deals with all kinds of topics. It has labor laws. Um, things that, you know, one of the laws they read was,
make sure you pay your, your worker every day. Um, it has laws that talk about being care for the poor, taking care and who's, who's to do what. And, you know, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger or a sojourner. There's included in that says, do not profit off the poor. God hates it when, when the poor are taken advantage of, even if you're not doing it by breaking a law sneakily. I, I find it interesting, as I don't know if you watch Sunday afternoon football, it, it seems to me, especially then, but other times, sports betting is like the only advertisements I've seen lately. Like they've been really, you know, hyping that idea of, you know, you get $200 if you only spend $5. It's almost as if they're trying to get us hooked onto this, this sports gambling. And, and I fear what that will do to people who maybe don't make the wisest financial decisions. Is that a way of profiting off the poor? And so God forbids that. Uh, there's laws that deal with crime and punishment. So one of the ones you probably are familiar with is uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we're like, oh, that's so horrible. Why would you, why would you do that? And that seems harsh. But realize that that was given as a limiting principle. There are other ancient Middle East laws that would be like, if someone gets caught stealing, you kill them, right? You, 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 the, the, the punishment is greater than the crime was the norm. So among God's people, the limit is you cannot punish someone more, more heftily than the original crime. And so it sets a, a limit and a boundary. Another limit that it, it sets is, is in regarding crime and punishment is that you have to have more than one witness to put someone to death. Uh, two or three witnesses required to convict. So it had to be clear evidence. That's the beginnings of protections for the defendant. Another law I want to point out, and I think, I think we have a slide for it, is the runaway slaves law. In other nations, other peoples, you were expected to return a runaway slave to their master, but not so for Israel. It says, you shall not give up a ma- to his master a slave that has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place he shall choose within one of your towns. You shall not wrong him. Can you imagine what effect that would have in the whole area? If you, if you were running away as a slave, you're like, we're going to Israel. That's the one place they won't, they won't send me back. What does that say to humanity? about what God cares about. Another one is what's called the Gleanings Law. And I find this one fascinating. Again, it's one we read, and it has to do with you don't, you don't like, reap your whole harvest. Like, you don't go through it a second time. You leave some stuff on the edges so that those who are poor, if they were hungry, if anyone was hungry, you could always find enough of the edges of people's fields or the leftovers that you could get grain for you and your family. What an interesting way to take care of the poor. I wonder if, if it, it would work better than, than the, the dependency that's often created in the modern welfare state. So, so those kind of laws, inheritance laws. So I mentioned there's maybe a fifth. Uh, they have inheritance laws. They also have what's called case laws. So one of the the case laws is normally the, 
the, the sons inherit? Well, they have a, a situation where a man only had daughters, the daughters of Zelophehad. And so the, they go through the case where they say, what about us? Our, our family's going to lose its land. And they, they, they make it so that the daughters can inherit the land of their father. So there's case laws that kind of clarify things. So those are the different laws. In what way? I mean, this is a question I get asked a lot. Does the Old Testament laws matter today? Do they apply today? How, how do we do this? And I want to talk about that because it's not an easy answer. Some of these laws, as I read them, they think, oh, yeah, these make sense. You know, definitely we should still not murder, you know, still not steal. Those still apply. Others of them, we may say, well, we do the gist of them, right? We don't pay our workers every day, but it's still important that they get paid in a fair way within a time frame that you don't withhold their, their pay, you know, so every other week, bi-weekly pays, things like that. I think some are intriguing, like the gleanings law that, that offer up a way to take care of the poor, that maybe there's things to be learned there. Um, but then there are others, if you read through these, there'll be others like, wow, that's kind of weird. They, they, they're laws that were, you know, they fit for agricultural times, but don't fit in our day. Some of them seem really harsh to us. Some of them just seem just irrelevant to our lives. And you're like, why would we do this? Or they're inequitable. They, they don't seem fair to us. So you, if you read through the laws, you're going to see some of those. There was a TV show in the late 90s, early, early aughts called The West Wing. Uh, some of you might be familiar with it. I, I thought it was fairly well done. It has President Jed Bartlett as the president. Now, he was a good secular liberal guy, and it, it's, it's definitely oriented towards that, that side of the spectrum. And if at one point, he goes on a rant. In fact, try this out. I want you to try this later. And go into Google and put in West Wing and see how many letters it takes before it fills in rant for you. I think I got R-A and it filled in the rest. So this is a thing. And you then you can watch the YouTube video if you wish to see what he does. But in one of the episodes, he goes off on a Christian conservative who had, been, who had cited the Old Testament as something we should follow. And so he, he just... It's a total sarcastic thing. He cites a bunch of Old Testament laws. Should we follow this one? Should, should we do this? Should, should the Washington football team be forced to wear gloves to, because they're going to touch a dead animal skin? And he, he cites a bunch of Old Testament laws with the point of making them seem ridiculous that we would follow them in our modern times. And so I'm sure that when the, the writers of that show wrote that, they felt really good, right? Oh, we're going to stick it to those Christian conservatives. You know, come on, guys, get with the times. I'm sure as they wrote that, that scene, they, they felt like it was really poignant. And, and it, it definitely fits with secular liberal thinking. And it says two things. The Bible is outdated. Why should we follow these laws from ancient times? The, you know, and then even more, why should we need any laws from God, right? We can figure out ourselves what is good and right. We don't need to listen to what God says. That's, that's what it communicates in, in that mindset. Now, 
when you when you see your faith challenged in media, when you see our faith challenged by people who are asking questions, maybe sincerely trying to understand, and they have, before you get all uptight and defensive, because I, I'm speaking to myself, before I get all uptight and defensive, find the truth. Almost in every criticism, there's a nugget of truth. What might be the truth that they have a hold of in this before you criticize the or respond to the criticism? Here's the true aspect of the rant. Christians are often careless in saying which laws are applicable for our modern times, in our modern lives. Sometimes we have been known, we see a verse that, we, that says what we want, something that we think makes sense to us. We want to pick that out and say, God, this is what God's word is. So, can it, an example? Men should not have... Um, uh, long hair. Can I get an amen? Anyone out there? Or or we should not have tattoos. Have you ever had a verse, someone pull out a verse that says tattoos are, so I can give all kinds, but it's, are these, are these meant to be for our day and time, absolute laws of the Bible? Um, I, I was in a group where we kind of, the motto was, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And um, so inevitably what happens in, in such a thing is that we end up just picking out certain laws but ignoring others, right? Do, do we, you know, we pick out that law but we'll still have our bacon cheeseburger, you know, or other, other things that go against other clearly given laws. And so the air in that motto, is to say that the Bible does not need to be interpreted. Right? It's saying, oh, we just read it and just do it. But the truth is, the Bible needs to be interpreted, to be understood. In fact, we're, we're taught to do that. When I started the series, I started with Psalm 1, right? Psalm 1 says, talks about the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What does it mean to meditate? You are thinking about what God has said and what it means. You you recognize that you need to think it through. And that's work to to think the Bible through and say, where does this apply? How how should this be interpreted for for where we're at right now? We can't just say, well, we'll just do that because we end up just leaving outlaws. The Bible has to be interpreted. It takes work. We're called to love God not only with our heart and our soul. We're called to love God with our mind. And that takes work. And so the Bible itself gives, gives us some clues and that can help us discern how to interpret it. For example, there are whole long sections on what foods we are not allowed to eat in Leviticus 11, the, the food laws. Well, Jesus, when he encountered a situation, he said it, it's not what you eat that makes you unclean before God, right? It's, it's what comes out of your heart and your words. And, and so in Mark seven nineteen it says, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. They were not, no longer relevant, those food laws. They had their purpose for their time, but, but they weren't fitting. Similar, Jesus 
when we talked about the, the Sabbath laws, and they had all kinds of rules, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. If you know me, if you walk with me, you, I will give you rest. So the rest we have comes from knowing Jesus. So, so the laws are good, but they need to be understood rightly and, and applied well. So let's go back to those four categories and look at the different, different ones and, and how, they, how they might help us think about them. So if you go back to the Big Ten, the Big Ten are what set up the original covenant with God. Well, in Christ, we are under a new covenant. We're not actually under the old covenant. Jesus, when it, on the night before his death, said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Right? So we're not under the law. We're in Christ. If you want to look at what Paul the Apostle said in his letters. So, but everything given in the Old Testament is still applicable in its way. We're, we're still called to worship one God. Right? That, that's all, all fits together. We're, we, 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 we're not to worship other images, when, but we don't need other images because Jesus is the true image. You know, why did God say don't worship other images? Because he would give the image, Jesus, the Son of God. So we see in the Old Testament covenant foundations, it was setting up for the new. Those foundational moral laws, they don't change. In fact, Jesus did not nullify the laws like do not murder your, your brother. In fact, he amplified them. He says, not only are you to not murder your brother, you're not to harbor hate in your heart against him. So that's how those fit in this, this new covenant. What about the ceremonial laws, the, the cleanliness laws, laws, the worship laws? Really, most of them are not applicable because, again, we're under a new covenant. We no longer bring animal sacrifices before God. You know what it says instead? Instead of bringing animal sacrifices for your sins, you, we are to present ourselves before God and as living sacrifices. So we come, we, we do what we're doing today, right? We come before God in his presence and we come and worship him and we say, Lord, I am your servant. Send me forth to do your will. We are living sacrifices.